The uh, Hebrew word for tent is the same word for tabernacle. And here's the tent. The tabernacle in the, the story of the Exodus was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was stored, kind of maintained as these folks made their, their way across the, uh, across the desert. But a tent or a tabernacle in the Hebrew language always was, was not so much a place that was portable, but the emphasis was on this. A tent or a tabernacle was always a dwelling place. And so when that word was used, and that image in the Old Testament was this, the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. And so when that word would occur, people would know this, this is important. So the image of the tent that's here is very, very consistent with the stories that we're reading from Joshua in these, these days about God's being present with the people of Israel in the tent, tabernacle, dwelling place as they made their way across the Sinai. And today, in the third chapter of Joshua, as they camp, literally camp, on the edge, near the edge of the river, and they look out across the western horizon, and they see the river, they see the promised land, and they see the city of Jericho out there. Now, what has brought them to this point have been a couple of memories and a couple of realities. I talked about those the last two weeks. The first was their leadership, which has changed. That was the first week. Moses is unavailable right now. He's dead. And he's buried way back there on Mount Hor. Can't enter the promised land. So the transition has happened from Moses to Joshua. The second important piece is that what has sustained these folks as they make their way even to the campsite before they enter the promised land is the memory of the promise. The memory of their memory of the promise God made to them. This morning I'd like to ask you to look with me at Joshua 3. And there are three parts to this sermon. There's two points, three points, and three points. So I'll start with the two points. First of all this. What the people are asked to do, what God expects of them, first of all, is that they will honor the memory. Remember the promise that was made to them. And if you want to read what that promise was, if you aren't sure what it was and need uh, reminding, go back and read Genesis chapter 12. Start back at Genesis 12. And this is the promise that God gave to Abraham, and it sounds like this. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. That was the promise way back in the time of Abraham, who then was known as Abram. The second feature that is important for this gathered group of people at their campsite is this. Whenever we depend on the promise, we will be transformed. 
Promise, transformation always go together. They always go together. For example, the man who received the promise in Genesis 12 was named Abram. But do you remember what happened to him? God said, I am changing your name. You used to be Abram. Now you are a child of the promise. Your name is Abraham. Do you remember the story of Jacob, this, this really difficult patriarch, the son of Isaac, who wanted, always struggled with God. He got in a wrestling match with God there at Bethel, and he got his hip dislocated, and God to, said to him, your name used to be Jacob, but I'm going to change your name. You will now be known as Israel. If you believe the promise, there is a high probability that you are going in some way to get changed. And there's been incredible transformation of the people as they travel. Think of it this way. From the time of Abraham, the people go to Canaan. Abraham goes to Canaan and, and tries to settle there for a few years but it's not permanent. Then they move to Egypt because there's a famine up in Canaan and they end up living in Egypt for about 420 years. And then Moses is commissioned by God to lead them out of slavery. They're on the move again. And now it's 40 more years, Red Sea, and now they wander through the Sinai. They end up on the, on the, the east side of the Jordan River. They're still not settled, they're still in transformation. Now they are ready to enter the land that has been promised to them. And what's happened is this. They are moving from temporary to permanent. They are moving from wandering to settlement. They are moving from being a random set of tribes to a community bound by the covenant. And in the fourth place, they are becoming, moving from being people of the promise to people of a place. It's all about transformation. And there's three categories of people who are along on this journey. Number one, those who could remember, the founders, those who came on from the start, even if it was just the Exodus, nobody's alive any time from the, anywhere from the time of Abraham. But there's the founders, the people that started the journey. And there's still a few of them left. The second category of people are those who joined the journey, who were born along the way, or who saw what was going on and because of the laws of hospitality became a part of this band making its way across the wilderness. And the third that will eventually develop are the people who wanted a place. And once the people of Israel got settled in the land that was promised to them, then other folks said, this, this is an okay place. What's remarkable to me is that it's a metaphor and a parallel for who we are as a community of faith. Christ Church, think about this. Were there founders of Christ Church? 
And some of you are here in church this morning. Some of you, after the founders had helped to get things started, came along because you found a place, you found a community of which you wanted to be a part. And you chose to be here. You chose to join the journey. Once Christ Church was no longer mobile and moving about and in a temporary location and settled here, promised land or not, there's a place. And I imagine that some folks came here because they took their cars to DEQ. Maybe some of you did. And they said, oh, that's the prom... Well, they didn't say it was a promised land. <laughs> At least they saw a warehouse and knew that it was a church. And perhaps they simply wanted to be here. And so they came. So we're not much different, are we? You invited me, and I'm kind of along for the ride, at least for a while. And it's a good journey. It's a good place to be. I like being here. And so do many of you. So now we've got all of us, all the people, on the threshold, looking at the river, wanting to get across. We need three more things to get across. We need a leader. We need to remember how we got here, the memory, and what takes what it takes to get across the river are resources. Now, just a word about what's going on with the river. This is the Jordan River. It has its source up in the mountains in the northern part of what is today Israel. It's very near the border with Lebanon. If some of you have probably been there, if you visited there, you know what it's like. It's beautiful. That area up there in the region of Dan really kind of looks like the foothills of the Cascades. It's marvelous. The rivers run rapidly. There's vegetation, uh, rock outcroppings. It's a very beautiful area. And there's snow up there near Mount Hermon. Now, by the springtime, and the book of Joshua says that it is springtime, and the river is full. Knowing that the Jordan River at this place in the Great Rift Valley is about six to 800 feet below sea level. It's actually, I think, lower than Death Valley. It's below sea level. So the river that makes its way down here to this crossing point is now dropped not only from the mountains but an additional 600 feet below sea level. There's all the water from the area has now gathered at this river would remind me of what I saw yesterday when I drove across the bridge over where we live in West Lynn, the Willamette. Very, very full. And that is the river at full flood stage, which the, Israel, the people of Israel, Joshua's leadership, are being asked to go across. They're camped, they're looking at the river, and you know what they're thinking, how are we going to do this? We need a leader, we need to remember who we are, how we got here, and we need resources to get across the river. Moses is gone. Joshua can do this. It's kind of where we are, isn't it? The community of Christ Church, looking for a leader. We have a call team, a group of people meeting almost weekly to help identify who that person might be. We've got a memory 
And part of that memory is recalling this. We've had good pastors here in the past. We want to, if not replicate that, we want to remember what gifts our pastors and our leaders, our lay leaders, brought to this effort, to this church, to this community, to this enterprise, because that is what makes it possible to move forward. And then the third one, resources. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about resources. Remember the story, the part of the story when the people of Israel are crossing the Sinai and they start to get rebellious and they tell Moses, no food, no water, no place to sleep. This, we're, we're headed back, we're going back. And Moses says to them, sorry, can't go back. Cannot go back. And they, then, Moses, then they said, well, what about the food? There's no food here, there's no water. And God tells Moses, Moses, go talk to the rock and the water will spew out of it. He didn't like that, so he hit the rock. Water still came out, but Moses never got to see the promised land as a result. Mistake on Moses' part. But then this is what happened. Moses told the people, this evening, when the sun starts to go down, go outside, outside your tents, and you're going to see flocks of quail, and they're going to land on the ground. You're going to be plenty of protein. Eat the quail. Protein. Quail isn't bad. So there's plenty of protein. Go to bed. Get up in the morning. Walk outside your tents. Take a look around. And you're going to see this material, this uh, food. And it's going to be on the leaves and on the grass, what little there is. You can pluck it off and eat it. It's very, very tasty. And I want you to call it manna. And in 24 hours, there are resources. They've got protein for the evening and carbo-loading for the morning. Manna and quail. They are good to go. But what's remarkable about the resources is this. The resources were already present in the creation. There indeed is evidence of this of. Uh, uh, manna that coalesces on, in the springtime, that coalesces on flowers in the desert and on plants in the desert. We might think of it as some kind of uh, a pollen derivative or some such thing, but there's clear evidence that it was already there. The folks just simply needed to be told, it's okay to eat. It's there for you. And the quail, they were there. So the resources are already present. Or remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? The disciples came to Jesus and said, what about these people? It's late in the evening. If we can't feed them, there's going to be trouble. And Jesus said this to the disciples. Do you remember what he said? You guys take care of it. That's not my problem. And the disciples have to figure out how to feed the 5,000 people. And what do they do? They look for the resources. Here's a, a young lad. He's got a few fish. He's got some loaves of bread. Jesus says, now go feed the 5,000. And then they end up feeding everybody to satisfaction and pick up a dozen baskets left over. So what about us? What about Christ Church? 
We can find the leader. We're working on that. We have good memories of what we can do together when we get focused. Resources. We're going to need some resources. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that in just a few moments. So now we're here at the edge of the river. The river is deep, it's wide, it's raging, and it is potentially very dangerous to go into. Now, I told you there were two points, three points, and this is the last set of three points. In order to move ahead, three things are going to have to happen. And the first one is this. And it's right out of Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The definition of consecrate is this. To make holy or to make sacred. To make holy or to make sacred. God said consecrate. Unlike what Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address about consecrating the ground, Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. You, the people, now become holy if you want to move forward. I want to watch the NFL playoff games this afternoon. Steelers, Jets, Bears, Green Bay. This is like classic NFL football. And here's what I'm waiting for. Well, I want to watch the good game. It's going to be cold. But I want, I want, I'm waiting for the interviews after the game. And I usually tell my wife this. I wait for the first player who's interviewed who will thank Jesus for having won the game. That'll happen. I'm just sure of it. What I'm also waiting for, which I can almost tell you will not happen, is this. Nobody will thank Jesus for having lost the game. It's just not going to happen. And I think that's unfortunate. Because most of us know that our faith, our development of who we are as God's people, is discovered not just in how we win, but at some time in how we lose. And it always makes me sad when I hear the interviews after the NFL games that nobody can say that. Vince Lombardi, notwithstanding about winning is the, not the only everything, winning is everything, it's the only thing. We all know that. But we don't get to live in an unbalanced world, do we? So we stand here with the people of Israel with the river in front of us, a raging river. And God asks this first of all, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. I have to admit, one of my favorite shows on television, I think it moves quickly. Uh, does anybody ever watch How It's Made? Anybody ever watch that? So you know what that's like? It's just fascinating, these little seven-minute stories about how things are built, and I find it fascinating. All the way from Twinkies to cellos. I watched, watched them make a, a cello out of carbon fiber last week. It was just fascinating how it happened. But 
There's one feature to two shows that I like on television. One is how it's made. The other are cooking shows, all the food. I love those, and there's plenty of them. One feature that is always common between how it's made and cooking shows is this, cleanliness. There will always be the reminder along the way, be certain that you clean the device. Be, sure, be certain that the pans are clean, the griddle is clear. It has to be clean. When God said to the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves, I'm convinced that he also meant this. Get yourselves clean. Because you can't move forward if you're not. There is something to ritual cleanliness that became a part of Judaism. For those of us in the Christian tradition, we know what cleanliness means. We know what it means to get clean. We know it as confession of sins. To recognize who we are. To know that we are humans who are flawed. And to be able to accept forgiveness. Consecration. Cleanliness and confession. Second part of what has to happen with these people as they prepare to cross the river is this. Obey. I mentioned some weeks ago that in the Hebrew language, the root word for obey is the same root word for listening, for hearing. So that if we could speak Hebrew together and I use that root word, and I said, please hear me, you would think that means obey me. When God speaks, to listen, to hear, is to obey. There is no distinction. So consecrate yourselves, become holy. The second part is, before you cross the river, make sure you listen. Make sure you obey. And listening is what it's about. The phrase is called the Shema. It's spelled S-H and then a Hebrew character M-A, Shema, Shema. This is what it sounds like. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It is the central expression, the mission statement, the definitive description of Judaism. If you want to say anything about Judaism, it's possible to express the Shema. That describes what that faith is all about. But notice the first word in that. It's not talk. It's not go and do. It's this word. Hear, O Israel. Listen. Obey. That's what it's about. For if we choose to listen to God, obedience is the only option that is available. Obey, before that was consecrate. 
This is the third thing that needs to happen if you want to cross the river. And it's this. Get your feet wet. Get your feet wet. So Joshua tells the priests, I don't know why the pastors always end up with these jobs. Joshua tells the priests, you guys take the Ark of the Covenant, carry it up to the river, and don't stop there. Walk into the water and go stand in the water. This is a flood, flood stage river. This isn't a brook. This isn't a stream. This isn't a pond. This is a flood stage river. Joshua already told us that. Now, carry the Ark of the Covenant that you saw in one of those earlier pictures and stand in the water. That's the directive. That's the obedience. That's the command. That's what God has said. Remember, this is about transformation. If you are standing on the edge of the river and you take that first step to get your feet wet and go stand in the water, you will not be the same person coming out that you were going in. It's risky, it's dangerous, and it's obedient. The steps toward transformation and preparation to get to where the people of Israel need to go. Eventually, they're going to make their way across. And I encourage you to read the rest of this drama in Joshua chapter 3 and in chapter 4. Consecrate yourselves, obey, and then step into the water. We have a raging river here at Christ Church. It looks a little ominous. We have two of them. I'll tell you what they are. From where we are and where we want to be out in the future is uh, a bit of a challenge for us, and it's called a mortgage. And it's $1.25 million because that's where we are. That's what we're in. And in some ways, to be where we are looking out at October of 2012, about 18 months from now, looks a little frightening. 1.25 mil. And the bank has said, we want you to either do one of two things, pay it off or refinance it. And I don't think there's much question about which option we're looking for. But it's there. Now, we could stand on the bank of the river and turn our backs and say, well, it really isn't there, but we know it is. Second is this. We're going to be calling uh, another pastor here. And the, uh, uh, the financial uh, expectations in doing that, for any of you who have uh, uh, been engaged in hiring people, simply know that what we used to pay isn't going to work for the next person coming in. So we've got another bit of a river issue there we need to work with. So we know they're there. All we need to know what to do is how to deal with it. But remember what I said earlier about the resources? If I believe, and if you believe with me, that we can get from here to there, and if you believe the stories, and I do, and I hope you do too, the resources are already there. They're here. 
the loaves and fishes were there. The quail and the manna was there. All that was necessary was to know how to use them and be willing to accept them. So that's where we are. And I hope that you would see this as an exciting place, not a frightening place. The people of Israel stood on the one side. They looked out. They saw the raging river. They saw Jericho. They saw the promised land. But they knew all along that they could get there because everything that they needed was already in place. In verse 15, this is what happened. As soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Not bad, huh? It works. But you've got to get your feet wet and have to step into the water. Joshua chapter, chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. Remember the promise, consecrate yourselves, obey, and get your feet wet. Amen.